doing this morning? Good. That was actually one of the best good mornings I've ever had without asking for a second. Like, that was so good that I'm not going to ask for a second, but then I am because it was so good. I want to hear it again. So good morning, Colorado Church. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. Well, I am John Bowsman. I am excited to be in the house with you guys this morning. And if you're a part of this church, if you call this church home, we're excited to be here this morning to experience this with you. If you're a guest or this is your first time, we especially want to welcome you. We're excited that you are willing to give up your time. It's valuable and to spend it with us on this beautiful, sunny, evergreen morning. So as we're looking into this, we're in a series called The Pantry. And The Pantry is a series talking about this idea that there are a number of different ways that we can be nourished by God. Much like a pantry, much like a pantry in your home, you can come to your house, you can walk to your pantry and say, man, I am really feeling some chips and salsa right now. Like that is the nourishment that I need in my body. Or maybe you're kind of like me and you're like, you know what? Like carbs are amazing. Like I I tried the no carb thing once. I got hangry two hours into it. It was not a pretty sight. I was not going down that path. But I was like, man, I want pasta. I want the pasta with the sauce, and you got to throw in the meatballs with that. So I'm throwing in the meatballs that clearly were like Hickory Farms, and they're saturated, and they're terrible for me, but I'm throwing it in there anyway. And so there's so many different things in our pantry that we can come to for nourishment, much like we can come to God in a lot of different ways and be nourished by Him. We're in week five of this series, and some of the past ways that we've looked at have been uh, through worship, through prayer, or through reading the Bible. And if you haven't heard those, or if you've missed those, you can certainly catch up on those. You can listen to them online. You can download the Colorado Life podcast, which is what I do for my lovely trips up to the mountains to go skiing and snowboarding. Um, it's a great thing to have the voice of Josh Donup with you on the ride. Um, it's melodious and harmonious in so many beautiful and wonderful ways. Today's time and conversation is going to be focused on this idea of community. Now, community can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, and to be honest, it's a word that we can kind of throw around pretty easily, right? If you've ever kind of grown up or you've experienced uh, the life in the church, it's a word that we use a lot, and it can mean a lot of different things. And so I want to spend our time today kind of looking at what it means for community and how that, in my mind, community is very organic. It can look like a lot of different things to a lot of different people. It's very organic in nature. And so I don't think that if you go to the pantry that there's like a set recipe for how to make community, but I do think that there are some key ingredients to community. There are some key ingredients to community. And I want us to spend some time together looking at that today. When I was an RA in college, I was an RA for two years in Smith Hall. I went to a small private Christian liberal arts school, which translates into um, you play ultimate frisbee and there's nothing else in town. (laughs) Like that is pretty much the summary of my college experience. And I was in the most ratchet dorm possible. Like it was so bad that when I actually applied to be an RA and they were like, hey, where will you go? Where would you like to go of all the options? And I said, I will go anywhere but Smith Hall. That is the one place I will not go. And they're like, okay, well, what's your second option? My second option is whatever's left besides Smith Hall. (laughs) 
that was literally my interview process. And then lo and behold, they were like, hey, listen, we want you to be a RA and we want you to be in Smith Hall. Now, Smith Hall was not just the most ratchet dorm, it had no AC, it was torn down, it was terrible, which made it perfect for us to just be guys and tear that thing apart, all right? Like, there was no care given to it whatsoever. And I was an RA for two years on the same floor with most of the same guys, and we just did the most just, I mean, there's nothing else to do besides Frisbee. You can only play Frisbee for so long, people. So we actually, we turned our shower area, it was like a big area, we turned that into a pool, so we like, we like lined up a huge plywood and put tarp around it. And we fit, uh, no joke, like 12 dudes in this huge pool. And then when we, we didn't think it through. So when we wanted to drain it, we just popped holes in the tarps, which put a ton of pressure on the pipes. And we literally burst the pipes. So it was like flooding in the basement. But because it was such a ratchet dorm, we did not have to pay for that. So that was like one thing that we did. And then another thing that we do uh, on this floor of community was uh, we had on the first major snowfall, we would go running around campus singing Christmas carols, wearing nothing but shorts and shoes. So you can imagine like literally 25 guys running around with pretty much almost nothing on singing like Jingle Bells and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And we had to serenade the president. So imagine like 25 dudes standing in front of the president's house serenading him in the snow. And then we ended it with snow angels. So... <laughs> Naturally, everyone got sick for a week after that. I, I am confident I had to identify frostbite at one point. It was, it was not good. But one of the last things I'll share about this is so um, our staff uh, went to go see the movie 300. All right. And how many of you guys in this movie or how many of you people in this room have seen the movie 300? Show of hands. All right. So a decent amount of people. Now, if you haven't seen this movie, it's based upon a true story of 300 Spartan warriors. Okay. And if you are looking for like a guy's night movie, like that is it. If you want to get like jacked up on Mountain Dew and testosterone, go see this movie. And so as a staff, we went and we saw this movie and I have a photo of this. So we, we dressed up as Spartan warriors. So we went to the midnight showing of this movie wearing nothing but like red, you know, skirts like they did in the movie. And we had our cardboard armor and all that good stuff. And I remember we all sat in the same row, and there was a guy at the very top of the auditorium, and he yelled, he's like, Spartans, stand and be applauded. We're like, what? Stand and be applauded. And so, like, we all just kind of stood up awkwardly and, like, turned around, and literally the whole auditorium just stood up and was like, yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> and we didn't know what to do, so we just responded by doing what they do in the movie when they celebrate, and we were like, aru, aru, aru. So this is a great photo, a great memory of college. And we have this fridge up here. And I just want to put this up here just, just so you can marvel at the image of 20-year-old John dressed as a Spartan warrior, <laughs> kind of more or less with the body of, you know, just, a, you know, yeah. So, but I remember at the end of my two years, I met with my resident director, and he told me something that I never forgot. And he said, John, I'm going to be honest with you. When it came to enforcing the rules, you were terrible. You were awful. In fact, you were the instigator on your floor most of the time. <laughs> Which is true, because I was the RA, so who else is going to turn us in, right? It was a brilliant, well-thought plan. But then he followed up by saying, but when it came to creating community, that's where you excel about. That is where you excel about. 
And so I want to spend our time today focusing on what are these ingredients that kind of make up potentially this world of community that we want to talk about. And I want to look at this passage. It's, it's written by a guy named Luke. And he kind of documents this thing called the early church. And it was a group of people that got together and they formed, when you're going to hear this, a pretty powerful community. And I want us to be able to just read what he wrote and kind of take away some of these ingredients that he kind of puts in there and how they might apply to our lives. It can be found if you have your Bible with you or if you want to pull one out of the pulpit. Or not out of the pulpit, that'd be weird because I'm up here, but out of the pew. Uh, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2. Verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Now, for context on this, uh, the author of this is a guy named Luke. He's a physician, and he's really good with detail. I don't know if you've ever visited a physician, but mine is excruciatingly detailed. And he documents this extremely well, and this is just after the time where um, Jesus has, has ascended to heaven, and this is the early church. And it says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. There are two words that I really want us to focus on as we dive into that passage and these ingredients for community. And the first one that I really want to focus on is the word intentional intentional. If you look at verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I don't know about you, but like, I can only devote myself to one Netflix show at a time. Like, that is the propensity and exhaustedness of normally what I can devote myself to, let alone the idea that they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were intentional in doing these things with one another. When I think of the word intentional, I think of Mama Bowsman. That is my mom. Now, my mom seems to come up almost any time I talk, all right, and to be quite honest, if I ever mimic my mom, full disclosure, she sounds nothing like the voice that I give her, all right? Like, my mom is from, like, New Jersey, and, like, I make her sound like she's from Sheboygan. I mean, they, there's no similarity there. But my mom, if you were to probably, this is a photo of Mama Bowsman, by the way. This is her. She visited me. We're having, uh, um, you know, uh, some coffee, all right? We're having some coffee together with a croissant. And I'm going to put this back on the fridge next to my beautiful Spartan warrior physique right here. And Mama Bowsman, um, if you were to pull her friends and ask her, like, what, how would you describe Mary Jane Bowsman? How would you describe her? I believe that one of the things that each friend would say is she is intentional. My mom pursues those friendships with absolute intentionality. 
It is amazing. She is so good on calling, on texting. My God, if, you get, if, she, get, if she gets your phone number, my goodness, like she's going she's gonna to blow you up. My girlfriend's like, yes, yes, she will blow up your phone. Um, it is insane. And so my mom is a very intentional person. She's really good on, on um, birthdays and, and all kinds of special things that, to be honest, I'm terrible at. Like birthdays, I am awful at. In fact, my dad, this is a photo of my dad. Um, I had to bring it up. This is, this is him with his catch. This is probably a two-inch fish. This is literally the photo that I have of him. I, I picture my dad as this great fisherman with this you know, two-inch fish. But my dad, to support my lack of being good at this, this is something that he would do for years. My dad would actually call me, and he would end up saying, hey, John, um, I know that you know that your mom's birthday is next week. <laughs> I know that you know that, and, and I'm sure that you probably already have a gift for her. Like, you probably bought it months ago, and you've thought about it, and it's, it's, it's well-baked, but, um, you know, just in case you don't, I may have bought an extra gift for her, and if you want, it's right here, I think. You can give it to her. I even bought a card for you. <laughs> And you can just Venmo me or, you know, he's old school, so you can write me a check. And I'm like, Dad, I, I literally live five minutes away. Like, I just, but he's like, you can write me a check and, and you can mail it to me and we'll just, we'll just call it good, all right? And my dad has done this for years. I mean, it was so bad that literally for Mother's Day, I didn't, ladies in the room, don't hate me, okay, please. For Mother's Day, I didn't have a gift, okay? You can feel free to be like, boo. Um, I didn't have a gift. But that resulted then in being like, Mom, I want to give you the greatest gift of all time. Uh, besides Jesus, it's me. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an interpretive dance of, of me being born and coming into the world. <laughs> and that's my gift. And so uh, as, as silly as it sounds, to this day, I still offer my mom through FaceTime an interpretive dance every single Mother's Day. <laughs> And it has saved me on so much postage. It is amazing. But I, I do give her real gifts. But my dad is so good at this that he points this out. My, at the spirit of this is the fact that my mom is such a good example in my life. Of being intentional in the relationships in her life. And she has set a wonderful example to me that I aspire to be like. The other word that I want us to focus on is this idea of invitational. Invitational. And I want us to look at it from two different perspectives. The first is invitational in the sense of inviting people out. Inviting people out. It says in verse 46 through 47, it says this, every day they continued in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. I believe that's super important that not only should we be intentional, but we need to be invitational in nature. We need to invite others and say, hey, I'm doing this thing. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see what is happening in this space? I want you to be a part of this. Would you like to be invited into this experience with us? I think about it with dating or with any kind of friendship, right? 
I'm going to use my girlfriend as an example, and I do have a few photos of her. In fact, it's probably too many uh, for the fridge, but I, I brought four photos of, of my girlfriend because, um, well, I mean, it's my girlfriend, so why wouldn't I have tons of photos of her? So one of the things I think about with dating or any friendship is it doesn't really happen without some sort of invitation, right? My girlfriend Bree and I would not be dating if one of us was not invitational in nature and say, hey, would you like to go out on a date? It just wouldn't happen. Essentially, you, if you don't invite, you deduce yourself pretty much to the person delivering your pizza, which is kind of a joke, but in all seriousness, that's kind of what it results in, is that's your best hope, especially if we're sticking with the date analogy, to find Mr. or Mrs. Wright is the fact that it's a pizza delivery person, because that's probably the only interaction you're going to have if you're not invitational, right? It feels really good to throw a party, right? In many senses, it, it makes sense that we, we uh, as social creatures, many of us in the room may enjoy this, but can you imagine being intentional in planning a party, you go through the, the whole process of buying the streamers and buying the food and buying the drinks and doing all of this. Going through all the work of being intentional, but then not inviting anybody to that party. It would kind of feel like a miss, wouldn't it? I mean, granted, now you've got a ton of streamers and it's going to be really fun and kazoos by yourself, but it kind of would feel like, man, I, I missed a step here, right? I was intentional in doing this, but I wasn't invitational to people. We recently had a New Year's Eve party, and uh, I have a house that I live in with two other guys. It's not mine. We rent it because it's Denver and it's expensive. And we threw this New Year's Eve party. And in all honesty, my expectation was probably like, man, 12 people are going to show up, maybe 15. We're probably going to play Monopoly. <laughs> all right, maybe we'll get crazy and bust out Parcheesi. I don't know. I don't know how crazy it's going to get. And then probably we're all going to get tired because we're a little bit older and we're going to want to be in bed at 11. So we're going to celebrate New York's New Year's Eve and we're going to call it good. That's what I thought was going to happen. Lo and behold, over 50 people ended up coming to our party. People that I didn't even know, which was great, by the way. It was fantastic. But I live in a small house. Those 50 people never moved. They stayed in the same, like, five-by-five five foot of space. It was like Twister, but no one was actually playing Twister, right? <laughs> I actually started to get worried about this whole, like, man, is this, is this going to cave in the basement? So, like, I went into the basement to kind of get some space and to cool down a little bit, but I stayed away from where they were above just in case. It was that concerning. But it felt good. It felt good to invite people and for them to come. But I want to I fill you in on a little secret that I think is important for us to know. It feels good to invite people and for them to come, but it feels way better to be invited. It feels way better to be invited. It means that you were thought of, desired, and it means that you were known. It feels so good to feel invited. I want to look at the word invitational now in a second way. And uh, before I do, actually, speaking of the party, this is a, a photo of an ugly sweater party that we end up having. This is not my house because there's no space to take this photo in our Twister environment. But this is an example of what that may look like to, to live in community. 
to have invitation out to people, but I want to focus on probably the harder part of invitation. And that's not necessarily inviting people out, even though that's important. It's inviting people in. It's inviting people in. We can't have true community if we don't invite people in. That has to be, for me, the hardest part of community. If I'm honest, I am not a very vulnerable person. I'm just not. It is hard for me. And if you could probably see your girlfriend was here, she's probably like, yeah, that is absolutely correct, right? That is so true. It's hard for me. And it's hard for me because in my life, like, I've had a lot of pain in that area. I've had a lot of hurt. I don't know if that resonates with you. I don't know if that you have an experience like that. Maybe you invited people in and it was a hurtful or painful experience. And maybe that came from a place that you didn't expect. Maybe it came from people that you thought, you know, I didn't expect that from you. When I was preparing for this sermon, Josh and I got together and he asked the question, he's like, what about the person in the room? What would you say the person in the room or the person that may be listening in on the podcast that is hearing this word community and they're saying, you know what? I'm done. I don't want that. It is better off for me to be alone. Or you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I experienced. Maybe you had pain with people in your life. Maybe you've experienced what I might call church hurt. Maybe you've been a part of a church community and it was a place of hurt for you. And if that's the case, can I just say that I am so stoked that you're here. That you're here and that you're listening to this. And when I was thinking about this and Josh asked me the question, he's like, so what would you say to that person that may be in the room that is experiencing that or has experienced that? And I said, honestly, I would probably share my story. And I was thinking about it yesterday, and I actually talked to Josh, and I was like, hey, I really think I'm, I'm going to do this. And for context, there's a few things I want to share about this. One, this probably has to be one of my least favorite activities ever to share my story. All right? Like, literally, I would rather go back to the whole, like, singing jingle bells and freezing cold weather with my shirt off and having pneumonia, right, than, than I might want to do that because I've never shared it with many people before, because it's painful for me. But I also believe in a God that is a redeemer. I believe in a God that is a redeemer, that can make bad things for good. And so I ask when I share this story, I, I want to ask two things. One, if this resonates with you in any way, shape, or form, because I can only go into so much detail within the time that we have, right? If this resonates with you in any way, shape, or form, I would be stoked to get together with you if you want. If you have a story that's similar that you just want to say, hey, I want to share this with someone that maybe understands, that might have come from a place that, hey, they may be different, but I think you might be able to appreciate what I experienced and understand what I went through. I would be so happy and blessed to be a person to do that with, to do that with you. And I know that there are a number of people here today. But I would also ask this thing. As I share this story, I would ask that you not shut off to the story. 
Because like many stories, if you do, you're going to stop probably right in the middle when it's darkest. And you're not going to make it to the end where you see the hope, when you see the beauty, and you see the redemption. So I would only ask that you listen to it in its entirety. Because the end is a good ending. So my story, this is a photo of my family uh, right here. This is uh, my brother. I've got an older brother who's two years older than I am. Sister who's 10 years younger than I am. Surprise! <laughs> and then that's uh, Mama Bowsman and my dad and uh, Noah, uh, who is my sister's fiance. So my dad is a pastor. I grew up uh, the son of a pastor, grew up in the church. And when I wasn't even four years old, I moved to Indianapolis, Indiana, to the Hoosier Heartland. And my dad served at the same church for almost 20 years. It's a very long time. And I literally grew up in this church. They had a school there, and so I was there six, seven days a week. I was actively involved. This was home. I remember when I went to college, and I came back to Indianapolis for the first visit, I didn't actually feel home until I turned the corner going to my church one night because I just want to feel the sense of home. And as I came around that corner, I saw that place that I grew up in. My heart just got so filled with joy. Because to me, that was a huge part of my home. Things change. A uh, few, uh, few years into college, um, to spare some of these details, the, the, there's a thing called denomination. Essentially, just think of it as a, it's a group of churches that essentially say, hey, we kind of all believe the same thing, to put it lightly. And there was a point where my home church was like, hey, we, we're, we're disagreeing with some of the things going on, and, and we want to move. We want to move into a separate denomination, a separate place. And in the end, uh, there were kind of two options that the leadership had kind of landed on. Uh, church, or group A was a group that met a lot of the beliefs of the church. And, but the challenge for the leadership was the fact that if we went there, uh, the denomination would maintain ownership of all the property. For context, it was a big church. It was a very big church. Uh, they had made some decisions where they were pretty spent uh, financially. It was a large church, but they really had to keep the congregation to sustain what they had done. So that wasn't appealing to them. And so there was another option that they were considering, that this denomination would give my home church the property and say, hey, this is yours to manage, to run how you see fit. But it didn't necessarily match the beliefs of the church. Now, to high level, the, the difference, the main difference is that Church A believed that Jesus came so that all people may know him. He didn't pick and choose people and said, I'm going to pick you, but not you, but came that all people may have the chance. That's what my father believes too. Personally, that's what I believe as well. Church B believed that Jesus came for some, that some were chosen and some were not. And that was a big difference. And so my father, as we were going into this, was like, look, I get, like, we want to make a change, but let's not just jump to jump. And he had communicated, look, if we go to option B, like, I want to be fully, full clear. This is what I believe. And this isn't like a small thing. This isn't like, hey, I really think that the Denver Broncos are the greatest football team in the world. It's not just a matter of opinion, but it was a matter of the core of his faith 
and who he believed Jesus was and what he did. And he said, I can work with, I can work with pastors and other leaders that, that have a different belief. I have in my, in my career. I have even at this church. But I want to be clear that I, I can't change that. I can't change that just to keep my job, if that's what you're expecting. And so they said, hey, if you can communicate your belief and show that it was biblically founded, we'll, we'll let you in. And so he, he met with them. He did that. And then they said, hey, we, we see that your belief is biblically founded, that you really have thought this through and you support it. But option B, we're not going to let you in. We're not going to let you in. And this presented a real dilemma on many accounts. And I remember sitting down with my father and saying, Dad, I, I honestly believe that you now serve as a roadblock. Because if the goal is the property, if the goal is to keep this, then you not going with them, you just became a roadblock. And I, I hate to say it, but I think what's going to happen is they're going to keep you from, from the people. They're going to keep this message from being communicated for as long as possible. Because once it's communicated, it's going to feel like, man, there's just too many things going on. The ship's moving too fast. We can't turn. And then the last thing they're going to do is they're going to villainize the place that you're staying because once they find out that you are staying, it becomes very easy to tie those two things together. And my dad is, honestly, I know he's my father, but I would say he's probably the most loving, caring, humble man I've ever known in my life. And he believes the good in everybody, even to the point of his own fault. And he's like, no, no, there's no way, John, that, they, that there's no way that they would do something like that. And I said, sure it is, Dad. Honestly, that's what I would do if I didn't have my morals and beliefs. That's exactly what I would do. And that's exactly what happened. And it was a long, painful process. And the best way to describe it, there was a meeting, and we later found out that people were actually asked to come and speak against my father. And there were emails that we found that were forwarded to us at that request. And honestly, it was like watching my dad's funeral and he was still breathing. He was still breathing. Now keep in mind, there's this idea that my father, as you can see from these photos, Dad, if you're listening, I love you. He's not a spring chicken. This wasn't his plan. This was never his plan. And I remember distinctly a moment, and keep in mind, he's thinking about, I have a family to support, to take care of. And I remember there was a moment where almost like the crowd got intense and it was like the, the, the pitchforks and the, the fire and everyone was like, this is terrible, how could this happen? And my dad walked up from the back, stood in front, and simply calmed everyone down. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, you know, as a pastor, you're not supposed to use the word proud very often. In the Bible, there's a a passage written by a guy named John, and it details a prayer from Jesus. And in this prayer, Jesus says, I pray that we, the church, would be one so that the world may know him. And my dad said this was the prayer of Jesus before he died. Make me proud and stay together. Do not divide over me. Do not split over me. Do not fight over me. God is faithful. He will provide in some way. But be one so that the world 
may know Christ. It then turned into a long and painful season for my family. Uh, we ran into situations where we didn't know if we were going to pay the bills. Didn't know what was going to happen to the house. Um, and there was a whole lot of things that came out against my family. It was painful. Uh, even small ways, I years later, and when people found out that I was dating this girl, they called. Two of the elders called and said, do you realize that your, your daughter's dating this man? And do you realize this, this whole thing? Can you imagine? You can't even have the opportunity to date anybody. That's rough. But that, that was our life. And it was hard and painful. And so in my life, I then moved on to a church that I was like, man, I am going to be jacked up. I am going to need like some serious, serious downtime because I got to work this out because this pain that I just talked about, that was over 20 years in the making. Right? It wasn't like I walked in and someone said my mom wore army boots. Right? It had very personal, spiritual, and And so I went to a church and I was there for about a year and a half. And I simply said, hey, look, I, I don't want to serve in leadership. I don't want to do this, but I want to be obedient to be in community. I want to be obedient to being in community. And so that's why I want to come and I want to heal. And I was there for about a year and a half and... Um, I remember distinctly it was a church uh, that was very, very much focused on growth. And unfortunately for them, it was focused on a numbers thing. And so there was an emphasis on like, hey, we got we to gotta get money, we got to get you serving. And that was the emphasis. And so after about a year and a half, I was like, you know what? Like, I want to I be good in community and obedient to this call. And those are good things. Those are good things when they're done healthy. And so I remember, I was like, I called the, the pastor, um, and I got both of his secretaries. He had two. Very fortunate guy. Um, had two secretaries. And I spoke with them. I said, hey, listen, um, I just want to grab coffee with the pastor. I know that he's the vision caster for the church. He's the leader of the church, and everyone follows him. And uh, I don't have anything that I really like need to talk about. I just want to get to know the man's heart. That's it. And she responded, saying, well, you know, I... As much as I'm sure he'd like to meet with everyone, he can't, and uh, he just can't. I said, no, I, I understand that. You know, I, my dad's a pastor, too, and, and that's actually why I'm calling. Um, you know, I'm coming from a place of a lot of church hurt, and I'm not interested in talking about that with him or anything like that, but I just want to know the man's heart. I just want to know the man's heart. Does he have time for that? Well, you know, as, as much as I'm sure he'd like to meet with everyone, he can't. And then I kind of threw my ace in the hole, my Hail Mary, my last request, and I was like, 30 minutes, three months from now. Does he have 30 minutes available three months from now? You know, as much as I'm sure he'd like to meet with everyone, he just can't. And so for me, in my moment of pain, I said, well, you know, apparently... You care about my time and you care about my money, but you don't care about me. And so my hurt and my story went to anger, and honestly, it went to bitterness. That pain and, and, and hurt had just been so mishandled by so many different ways that it just turned to bitterness. And I became a very bitter person. And I remember distinctly walking into a church that met in the public library. And I know that, that Colorado Life Church, we meet in a unique location normally too. And I have a propensity for churches that meet in unique locations. <laughs> to that. 
And so I walked into this church that met in the public library, and I remember saying to God, I go, God, if this is anything, if this is anything like what I've experienced in the past, it's probably going to be a long time before I ever walk into a door again. I'm just not that strong enough. I can't take it. So I walked in, and one of the best things ever happened. I met a guy named Nathan LaGrange. He was the pastor of that church. And Nathan and I got lunch that week, and I felt encouraged to share my story. And Nathan looked at me and said something that I just so desired to hear. And he just said, I want you to know that what happened to you was wrong, that your pain matters. It matters. And I am willing to sit with you in the middle of this pain and when you are ready to walk out of it, I'll walk out of it with you. Nathan had experienced something very similar to what I had experienced, to what my family had experienced. And so for the next three months, I came to that church that met at 11 o'clock, and I would show up promptly at 11.15. <laughs> I would sit in the back, and I wouldn't talk to a single person and I would promptly exit my way out. For context, I lived 10 minutes away from this place. <laughs> and Nathan knew that because I left my Bible there the first day. So he naturally was like, dude, I got your number, where are you at? And then he learned where I live. And so I would show up 15 minutes late every single Sunday for three months. And every single Sunday when I walked in, Nathan was always just hanging out in the lobby. And when I walked in, every Sunday, he greeted me with a smile and a hug and never said a word. He's a smart man. He knows I live 10 minutes away. You only show up 15 minutes late to an 11 o'clock service by sheer intent. <laughs> Consistently. And so he knew that that was what was going on, but he never said a word. And so eventually I got to a healthier state and... Um, Months and months later, I remember I, I met with him and I, I said, you know, Nate, I just want to say at the end of our conversation how much that meant to me. Because you know that I was coming late. You knew all of the things that were going on and you never said a word. You just smiled and you greeted me with a hug and he just looked at me simply and just said, I was just so happy you were coming. You had every reason to not want to walk into this door ever again. Why would I be upset about 15 minutes? I was just excited that you were coming. Well, it's no surprise. I went to counseling after all this because I was like, man, I got some ish to work through and I need to find going to work out my ish with me. And I went to this counselor and uh, actually it was super fortuitous. Turns out he was a Catholic priest at one point. <laughs> Who knew? So I ended up going to counseling and I remember talking with him and the first day he's like, hey, is it cool? Is it okay with you that, that, you know, I'm Catholic? And I was like, hey, is it cool with you that I'm messed up? <laughs> and he laughed and he's like, yeah, that's fine. Um, but I went to counseling. One of the things that I pulled out from that is uh, he ended up saying, and it became a huge part of my redemptive story. He said, the reason why, John, why you're having this struggle with all of this is because in your heart of hearts, deep down, you believe this to be true. 
you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the grave. You believe the gospel so deep in your soul that you cannot walk away from it. You can't, but you're so hurt. You have so much hurt, and you just don't know what to do with it. You don't know what to do with it. I mentioned hanging on to the end of the story because the cool part is, is that I believe in a God that is a redeemer. I believe in a God that can take some of the nastiest, most horrible experiences of our lives, and he can turn them around, and he can do something good with it. And what I quickly found is that I wasn't alone. There's a number of people that I've come across in my life that have had church hurt. And not even just church hurt, but pain in general. That we've had relationships that haven't gone the way that we thought, or there were people in our lives that, man, I did not expect this to come from you. And it did. And for me to be able to share my story and to be able to say, look, I don't know what you're feeling or experiencing, but I might be able to relate. And this is my story. A few months ago, there was a person that grew up in that same church that I mentioned that I, I grew up in in Indianapolis. And I haven't talked to this person in years. And they messaged me on Facebook and they said, hey, this article, read this article. This is why. This is why I no longer believe. This is no, no longer why I, I, I am a part of a community. And I didn't look at the article yet, and I just said, hey, let me ask you this. If I read this, can I have the pleasure, the honor to hear your story? Would you be able to share that with me? So I read this article, and I chatted on the phone. I actually took a break from listening to Josh on my drive back from the mountains, and I called this person, so all types. And I called this person, and we started talking, and they shared their story. They had no idea the depth of my story. And I was like, you know what? I think I can relate to this. I think I can understand a little bit about what you're going through. And they said, you know, John, actually, I'm going to be in Denver. My husband and I are going to be in Denver next week. And it's kind of, I know, on the fly, but would you like to get together for coffee? And would you like to talk about this? I want to keep having this conversation with you. So we got together and I shared my story with her after I heard her story. And it's very similar. Very similar. And I simply just looked at her after listening to her share her story and I said, three things. What happened to you was wrong. Your pain matters. And I'm willing to sit in the middle of this stuff with you. And when you want to walk out of it, I'll walk out of it with you. I'll walk out of it with you. Because I believe in a God that is a redeemer. I don't know what your story is like. I don't know where you stand right now. But I felt so strongly as I was preparing for this. I was like, man, I... I don't want to have to go into this part of my life because admittedly for me, the way that I used to think about it is like, I don't want to go back there. That's hurtful. That's painful. But I realized like, no, I want to go back there because some people are back there. And I want to be able to walk through that with them. I want to close with this analogy. My, uh, I mentioned earlier that community is organic, that it may look different for different people. 
And that I believe some of the key ingredients to that is being intentional and invitational. My family has this thing. They call it the church on the fridge. And this church on the fridge is basically their community. It's people that they have done life with. It's people that have experienced extreme loss. My parents are the kind of people who are like, hey, you don't have a family anymore for Thanksgiving. We're your family. You can spend that with us. We're rowdy. We're rambunctious. We'll play games. But you should come and enjoy that with us. There are people on that fridge. There's one family in particular. When I mentioned all of what happened at that church, that was the one family that stayed with my family. And they're on the fridge. Now, I'll acknowledge the fact that there are people that we thought were going to be on the fridge. Just aren't. It's not shocking probably hearing my story about that. But I recognize that for each of us in this room, we may have people on that fridge. And there may be people that we thought were going to be in that fridge that aren't. And I can't speak about your life. I can't speak to your experience. But I can say for me, hearing my story, hearing the depth of that, that at the end of it, I'm going to choose the joy of the community of the church on the fridge. I'm going to choose the joy of the, the community on the church on the fridge because I would rather have that knowing that there may be pain, knowing that there may be things that don't meet expectations, knowing that there may be hurt along the way because the joy of doing life with these people in community, to me, my story, hearing the pain that I went through, so worth it. It's so worth it to me. Because I believe in a God who's a redeemer. He's a redeemer. Now I have one last photo that I kind of want to add on to this. I mentioned, I don't know your story. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if that right now you don't want community. Maybe my story resonated with you and you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm just done. I'm done with that. Or maybe you're in a totally opposite spot. Maybe you have an amazing community. Maybe you're a person like my mom who is just intentional beyond belief and you're an invitational person and you have built an amazing community. Perhaps that's something that you can invite others into. Because if you are sitting here and you're like, I don't feel like I'm a part of a community, I don't feel like I have a place, one, you're not alone. I think if we're all honest, we probably felt that in some way, shape, or form in our lives. But I'd also say that if you look around, you're not alone. Because there are some people that I know that regardless of your story, regardless of where you are at, have a community. And they so want you to be a part of that. They so want you to be a part of that. Let's pray.